I want to thank you for joining us today. And if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of John chapter 4. I'm excited to, uh, first I'm going to begin with sharing with you a, a story that's a little bit embarrassing for me. So uh, about this time last year, I guess a little bit further into the summer, um, we had some, some hanging plants at our house that were struggling a little bit. And somebody recommended that we put miracle Grow on them. Um, now, no one in my household uh, confession time has a green thumb. No, no one does. And so I was going to be the person who's going to attempt to help these potted plants to thrive because that's what we all want, right? And so I, uh, I got the container, uh, took out the container. There's this little shovel spoon thing. I took that out and kind of threw it away. Maybe save that for my coffee later. And I, uh, and I took out this container and in um, the entire container went into one watering bucket. All right, that's what I did. So some of you are aghast because the, this did exactly what you'd expected to do. So I feed my flowers because why, why not just add more, right? And uh, sure enough, they died almost like two days ago, two days after that. They're dead, dead. Like I have to go to the store and replace them, have to change the soil completely. I mean, I was, it was terrible. And then I read the instructions and found out that I was supposed to take one little scoop and put it into the gallon of water, right? I mean, that's what you do if you want the thing to actually be fed appropriately. This morning, as we talk about relationships, I'm excited to talked with you about a way that you can help your relationships to thrive. And I'm guessing for some of us, if you stick with me this morning, you're going to be reminded of the fact that there's some things that we can do in relationships. We'll focus in on a handful of them this morning, actually seven of them, that we can do that, that put our relationships in a category of, I would say, insignificant or um, that, that leave them shallow and insignificant, that there's steps that we can take. And, and one of them is going to be a really tangible one. And it is, it is a temptation of, for each one of us, I believe, and that is to put up masks, facades in our life that keep us from being able to experience the depth and relationship that God desires for us to have. If you've ever been to Universal Studios in, Flor in um, California and you've done the behind-the-scenes tour there, you get to see how they use facades to project something that's completely and entirely unreal. You can go from one country, one cityscape to, to see how they faked you into believing something. They have the original or a version of the original Bruce that was filmed, it was used in the movie Jaws. You guys know the story of Bruce? Uh, some of you, he scared you. Every time you go to the beach, you think of Bruce, right? Uh, you can hear the music in the background. And uh, the, they say that, that Bruce was, when they, in, when they made that puppet, that mechanical puppet that they made, they spent about $500,000 on this thing. And if you've watched the movie or you go back to watch it, you'll find out that it only is used in about four minutes of the movie. And, and the reason why is that they designed it to be to function uh, within um, fresh water, but when they actually put it in the ocean, all of the gears and things they they it stopped working altogether. So uh, they they ended up having to go through this process of like basically this thing that was supposed to do one thing ended up not working very well at all. Well, it worked well enough to scare most of us when we go to the beach, though, right? But I, I want to remind you this morning about a temptation that is natural for us. And we're going to see in Scripture a familiar story. You know this story. Maybe you've heard of it. You've watched um, reproductions of it. Uh, it's the story of the woman and her encounter with the Lord Jesus at the well. 
And as we talk about this story, I want you to understand that the Lord Jesus that we worship, the Lord Jesus that I believe desires to have a personal relationship with each and every one of us is going to model for us what it means for us to live out what it means to love others like we love ourselves. He's going to break down barriers. He's going to um, be willing to pursue someone in such a way that it's going to alter, I believe, the course of her life. Then I think we'll also watch as we study her life together in this one chapter, we're going to see this woman who desired to keep people at a distance in her life, that she allowed herself to miss out, I believe, on the potential relationships that were around her. And we're going to see a part of her story. And as we study this together, I want to encourage you this morning, if you stick with me in the time that we have together, that that there are some really helpful ways that we can help our relationships to thrive. There are also steps that we can take that can establish our relationships to be shallow, insignificant, and miss out on the blessing of them. And, and I love this, this simple, profound truth. If you have your Bibles, you'll see before we dive into John chapter 4, actually, let's go back and let's look at Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. And we're going to see the description that the Lord Jesus gave when a person asked him, a, a lawyer, a religious leader asked him a question that I believe was designed to trip Jesus up a little bit. He asked Jesus, of all of the commandments, what is the most important one? The, the term here that he describes is literally, what's the heaviest of all of the commandments? And um, there had been identified by the Jewish religious leaders of the day, um, many commandments, some 613 commandments in scripture. And what he's asking Jesus is, Jesus, what is the most significant one? And so Jesus answers, maybe in the way that they expected, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And in another translation, it adds, in strength, or in another um, location. Now, here, though, then Jesus says something that's pretty radical. He says, and love your neighbor. It's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, let me admit to you right away that that's a really, really hard thing to do. It's hard to love our neighbors like ourselves. Some of you have neighbors that are hard to love. Uh, for others of us, you recognize that relationships are complicated and difficult and they come at a cost. And so when Jesus said this, he set the bar very high for us to love others like we love ourselves. And if you stick with me um, today, and as we study this together, what you're going to see is me encouraging you to recognize that God desires for us to be people who are authentic, sincere in our relationship with him. And our relationship with one another can thrive when we allow them to see our sincere, authentic selves. When we allow other people to come into our hemisphere, our experience in our life, when we're vulnerable with them, it can allow us to be able to dive deeper into our relationships with one another. The amazing thing that we'll look at today is that this woman that Jesus encountered, now flip over with me to John chapter 4, please. This woman that, that we're going to um, observe, her experience was one where she kept relationships initially at a distance. 
And, and I, I, I heard that this week, I thought it was pretty profound. Somebody said this about relationships. They said relationships, for relationships to thrive, for relationships to be successful, they must be maintained. They always require maintenance. Your car requires maintenance. You don't wait to change the windshield wipers or to put oil in the tank or to fuel it up until it's desperate and necessary. Well, not all of you do that, right? But you, you anticipate the fact that you need this to be done, to be cared for and maintained. And so, so kind of like your cell phone, uh, you notice when that thing is not charged, it is useless, right? Kind of like that cell phone, when you have to routinely, consistently keep that thing charged. And I think in our relationships, we recognize that they need maintenance, they need consistency, and that will allow them to thrive. And so here we see Jesus encounter this woman at the well. And if the first of the seven things I'm going to share with you briefly this morning that have the tendency to limit the depth and potential of your relationships, to keep them shallow and insignificant, the first one that I want to share with you is going to flow out of verses 4 or chapter 4, 3 through 9 of John, John, and it's to assume that you know a person before you take the time to know a person. Uh, we see this in Jesus's encounter with this woman. In verse 3, it says this, Jesus left Judea, and he departed again for Galilee. So um, this would have been a common three-day journey. Um, there would have been a, a, a community uh, or a place called Samaria that would have been in the direct route between those two. Sometimes people were so embittered by the Samaritans that they would choose to circumvent that, that part of the world. They take the longer route around because they didn't want to deal with the Samaritans as a loyal, faithful Jewish person. But here, what we see in the text in verse 4 is that Jesus... Um, had to, the way the text puts it, pass th through Samaria. I don't think that this had to was that he was in a hurry. I think it actually was something that still happens to this day. And that is, I think that God had a divine appointment to set up with this woman, that there was something significant that happened. Do you believe that God still does divine appointments today? I have had experiences where I have been on a bike path with one of my kids and I'm bumping into somebody that I desperately needed to talk to. I've had gas stations. Sometimes I, I, I've had encounters at gas stations where, I'm, you, know, you, you know, you wonder why sometimes, why would people buy money at the, or buy, buy money? Why would people buy gas at the place that's 20 cents more over here instead of buying gas over here? And uh, I had one of those that uh, I'm at this gas station I never go to, and it led to a divine encounter with someone that desperately we needed to have the conversation that we had. God still does that. And I believe that he did that here with the woman at the well as the Lord Jesus interacts with her. So it says that he had to go through Samaria. So he decided that he was going to engage and interact with this person. Verse 5 says this, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A couple of important details here. I've been to the, the archaeological site that's here. They, this well is now about 75 feet deep, 
but they estimate at the time of Christ that this would have been about 150 feet deep. It would have been um, not the kind of well that you just dip your hand in and grab some water, um, but it would have required a bucket and it would have required a process. And and in this particular town in the desert where it was located, um, the gathering of the water would have been a communal event. It would have been common for um, slaves and servants and other individuals to go early in the morning to avoid the heat um, and to go together, kind of like you and I go to the grocery store. So have you ever been to the grocery store at like two o'clock on Saturday? Um, everybody in the universe is there at that time, right? And so there's a, there's a gathering of people that happens and um, historically, we're told that, that noon would have been the uncommon time for someone to gather water, especially to do it by themselves. And so we get a hint as to the state of mind of this woman. I want to be careful as we talk about her to not scandalize her or to imply that she is any different than any of us. She had her history. She had a story. And what, what we recognize is that in some way, she was choosing to isolate herself from the rest of the people in her community. And I think for many of us, we have our reasons why we would choose to do that, why we would keep relationships at arm's length, why we would avoid the crowds in order to isolate. Maybe she was dis de depressed. Maybe she was discouraged. We'll hear a little bit more about her history but what we know through the text is that this sixth hour was high noon, and it was an unusual time for her to be doing so. And here Jesus is thirsty. You know something that I love about the Lord Jesus Christ is that there were rules and standards and expectations of a religious leader of his day, and Jesus kind of ignored those. He pressed through them. I love this statement by, by Bloom, um, uh, a commentator on this passage. He says, the normal prejudices of the day prohibited public conversation between men and women, between Jews and Samaritans, and especially between strangers. The Jewish rabbi would rather go thirsty than to violate these proprieties. And here, Jesus cuts through these expectations. He interacts with this woman. In fact, she's shocked by it. She tells us this in verse 7. It says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. So while they're over at McDonald's, Jesus is um, sitting there um, attempting to recover from his journey. And it says in verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. As you read the text, you get the sense that she's not interested in interacting with anybody. She's especially not interested in interacting with him. But what we're going to see as we unravel this story is she had a lot going on in her mind. She understood some theological concepts that are profound. She, she actually was probably a person seeking to understand more about God. But on the outside, what she communicated was that she was not, I mean, she verbally communicated. I'm not interested in interacting with you. She recognized the prejudices of the time period and the cultural differences and distinctions. And I, I want to remind you this morning, there's plenty of growth inhibitors in our relationships these days. I think we're more sensitive today than we've ever been about differences and, and distinctions and, and things that can lead us to isolate and separate ourselves. So I think we're looking so hard to find someone who agrees with us in every area that we resist 
and put up walls when it comes to potential meaningful interactions with other people. Uh, the other day I was driving from Columbus back to Cleveland on 71 and um, there was, Allie, um, Allie was, at, I was in the passenger seat, Allie was driving actually, and um, there was a fire on the highway. You could see it off in the distance and a, an ambulance passes us, fire truck, and as quickly as we could, we exited the, the ramp and even though we had no idea how we were going to navigate getting back to 71 down the line, we, we got out of there because we didn't want to have to mess with what was going to be the challenge of being stuck on that. I think many of us do that. I, I, I know we can pull that off even at the grocery store, can't we? Um, I've seen you guys do this before. You like see somebody and you are going to attempt to avoid them. And so you circumvent, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? So we, we recognize that there are some places for us that, that we're not interested in. We have a barrier that we choose to, to put up to avoid something that might be social socially awkward or avoid something that might be difficult for us. I, I remember in high school, um, there was a, a young man, his name was Jim, and in the, the high school cafeteria, we had a closed, you know, not open lunch at our school, and so I had a group of friends I spent time with, and then there was this guy who always sat by himself, um, and, and he was outspoken about the fact that he was an atheist, and uh, at some point, he and I started to interact together. And I remember meeting Jim and interacting with Jim in such a way that I realized he had an incredible story. He had um, some, some experiences that were fascinating to me, and we grew together as friends, even though he knew um, that we had differences in our faith. And uh, I would find out years later um, that he started to attend my little brother's church uh, in Heber Heights and um, ended up becoming a professing Christ follower. And as I hear this story, I just, I remember the only thought that went through my mind when I first interacted with Jim was, there's no chance that he would be interested in that. He resisted it from the beginning. But over time, what we recognize is that there was potential there for him to grow as a person I could be in relationship with, and also ultimately someone who could grow as a person who could have a relationship with the Lord. So I think that we have to be careful of our prejudices, prejudging uh, the value of a potential relationship. I think that's one way that we can keep uh, relationships shallow and insignificant. A second way that stands out to me is we can hide from potential relationships. We can avoid them. We see this with the woman who uh, goes to get the water at high noon, avoiding the potential uh, interactions with others. And, and, and we recognize that in this context, she and her avoidance of other people uh, attempted to get away with, from what God was going to do in her life. But God does something awesome. It says this in verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now it gets really interesting. Jesus moves into a theological concept with her. The woman said, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? You kind of get a tinge of sarcasm there. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Um, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus moves into now a description of what it means to 
experience the salvation that, that only he could offer. And so the, the woman's response is incredible. She says, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty or have to come here and draw water. She, she still is probably questioning, what is he talking about? And, and I want to remind you gently, whether that's what she was experiencing or not, that as we've gone through this relationship series, there's kind of an elephant in the room that I have observed in relationships, and that is sin has a tendency to always separate us. And I think for some of us, when we allow sin to creep into our life, things that are addictions or distractions, patterns of disobedience, it makes us want to, whether we know it or not, push away the people who desire to be the closest to us. In fact, we, we allow ourselves to be so agitated with ourselves in those time periods that it actually spills over into the depth and meaning of a relationship. I don't know if that's what was happening with this woman, but what we know is that her response back is still at some level keeping Jesus at arm's length. Um, maybe it's, it's sarcasm or hostility disguised as humor, as some have put it, but, but she still pushes him away. I think what she's trying to do in some ways, and I think this is really common uh, way to do distance and damage the depth and potential of relationships is the third point this morning, and that is we scam others out of knowing who we really are. We hide, we, we choose to um, put ourselves in a position, whether it's that we put our best foot forward and we uh, hide those areas of weakness in our own life and vulnerability, but um, what we potentially do is project something that's inauthentic. I, I think one of the saddest stories of my life was growing up with a friend that was in my youth group and a, a guy who I just loved. We did everything together growing up. And um, he, he was a family friend. And there was a time period we'd meet together to do like accountability groups and uh, just a wonderful guy. And there would be a time period um, around our graduation that I would just find out that almost all of the interactions that we had together were fraudulent. Like that he, he was just faking it, that he ended up uh, getting caught with some things and there were some things that he had never opened up with me about and uh, it caused great harm to our relationship. Obviously I forgave him, but what we recognized is that I realized that my friendship with him was never based on truth. It was always based on what he thought that I wanted him to be. And at the end of the day, it meant that we didn't have a real relationship. And I think that in this case, um, this is something that is a temptation for us. And it hinders the depth and meaningfulness in our real relationship. So here, Jesus says now in verse 16, he says to her, go call your husband and bring him back here. And so the woman says back to him, I have no husband. Now this is where Jesus in his divinity um, understood something quite profound. And he um, challenges her in this way. He says, you're right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now, now it gets real, right? That, that Jesus points out something that she more than likely was hiding. To have had five spouses in that culture, um, previous spouses would have been incredible. Uh, and when we don't know, I want to be careful about judging this woman or saying that she was evil or just, we, we have no idea what, what happened in those marriages. We don't know the history or the story. But what we do know is that Jesus is still actively engaging with her, even in the awareness of the deception that may have been on the surface for her. 
So he, he calls her out. He describes this to her. And in her authenticity, now something shifts in the communication. And there's a depth to their connection with one another. I think it's interesting. Um, a, a psychologist by the name of Sidney Girard made this observation about the need that we have to connect with other people uh, in a sincere and authentic way. That it's, he says that we're hardwired for it. We naturally, desperately need it. And, and he started to observe this in his counseling that he would have individuals that would interact with him and he would have uh, ask good questions, meaningful conversations. They'd open up. And often in those counseling times, someone would end by saying, I share things with you that I don't share with anybody in my life. I have shared things with you that I have never been open about. And he made the observation and wrote a book about intimacy. And he said, that needs to change for people. They need more people in their life that they can be honest and open about. He said that that process, that act of exposing our hearts and our fears and the shame and discouragement to someone actually helps to create a bond between two people. And so for some of you, if you look at your life, if you did a healthy assessment as to the status, status of your current relationships, you might say they're shallow. They're not deep. They're not, and I would say maybe not sincere. They're missing out on the depth and ability to be able to know and to be known. And in this case, Jesus's knowledge of this woman did not lead her to run away. His knowledge of this woman did not lead him to abandon her. But just like he does for each and every one of us who've accepted him, he's a relational God, right? He is aware of our sins, even when we confess them to the Lord. You know he knows it all already, right? And so, so this recognition of who we are and who we aren't is the relationship he has with us, and he still desires to maintain and build that relationship with us. I love that simple, powerful truth. I think that um, in the book that I've recommended called The Friendship Factor, uh, I love this quote. I think he nails it right on the head because we uh, we misunderstand what it means to be a good friend or the pattern of a good friend. He says this, people with deep and lasting friendships may be introverts or extroverts, young, old, dull, intelligent, homely, good-looking. But the one characteristic they always have in common is their lack of a facade. They have a certain transparency allowing you to see what is in their hearts. I think that there's a lot of truth in that statement. He goes on in his book to quote Marion Evans, who some of you know is the pen name, used the pen name George Eliot. And I love this description. Oh, the comfort, the inexpressible comfort of feeling safe with a person, having neither to weigh thoughts nor measure words, but to pour them all out just as it is, chaff and grain together knowing that a faithful hand will take and sift them, keeping what is worth keeping, and then with the breath of kindness, blow the rest away. Isn't that a great description? That is the kind of relationship we long to have, and I believe that the cost of that kind of relationship requires us to be transparent with those who are around us, to be vulnerable. Jesus uh, taught us this, or the book of James, we're taught this, as a powerful truth, James said this, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. 
Uh, Jesus said this about his relationship with his disciples. I want you to hear this. He spent time with them. He interacted with them. They did the mundane reality of life together. And he says this, I do not call you servants any longer because the servant doesn't know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because, you, because I have made known to you everything that I've heard from my father. That, that language models for us what it means to love one another as we love ourselves. It models for us a vulnerability and a transparency that can be the seedbed of the healthiest, deepest kinds of relationships. If you are trying to fool people that are around you, to fool them into deeper relationship with you, I believe that you're missing out on the potential depth of an authentic, sincere relationship. I think asking ourselves the question, what's the worst thing that can happen? I think also being careful about the things that we do that glorify evil or cause someone else to stumble. But at the end of the day, it's appropriate for us to be honest about the journey that we're on together. I think that's how we build meaningful relationships in our life. I think a fourth way that we can cause great, great um, pain to our, the depth and maturity of our relationships to cause a growth, um, a growth challenge for them is this. It's to ignore the common ground that you share together. I think that this is something that um, is amazing in this story of the woman at the well is that she's theologically seeking something. There's something profound that's happening in her life. And here Jesus is sitting right in front of her. Check, check this out in verse 19. It says, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. She's, she's sharing what was the common conflict between Samaritans and Jews at the time. She, she's again kind of pushing back on him. Verse 22, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus gives her an encouraging message. And, and in that context, what we begin to find is their common ground, their connection together over what God is doing in this woman's life. I think it's important to note that as I looked at this story, as I've read it in the past, it's natural for me to pretend to know what she's thinking. And I think that's a fifth way that we can hinder and damage our relationships is to pretend to know what other people are thinking. I think we, we do this quite often. We assume things about, in conflict in my office at times, I've seen couples go through this where we put words in other people's mouths and we assume and project what we believe is happening. And in this case, you might assume that a 12 o'clock well visit was enough to say that she wasn't a person who was interested in people or meaningful spiritual things. But here, what God does is pretty incredible. So Jesus says to her in verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. She, she is now spiritually a seeker. She's seeking God to do this thing. And here, what's so powerful about it is he's sitting right in front of her. I think it's appropriate for us to say that when Jesus said these words in verse 26, when Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he, 
it would have been an incredible moment. I want to challenge you for a second um, as we think about a sixth thing that's really dangerous in relationship, and that is if you place any person other than Christ in the position of being your savior in your life, you are making them an idol in your life and you are setting yourself to be up to be disappointed in those people. No person can ever satisfy the place that the Lord Jesus is going to, can satisfy in our life. Anytime, whether it's our marriage, our friendships, our children, our parents, anything that is other than Christ is a lousy substitute for our savior. I, I love the intimacy um, of the lyrics of the song, Just As I Am. Some of you know Charlotte Elliott wrote that in her mid-40s, and she had gone through a string of very difficult things in her life. She was discouraged, and she called the words of that hymn. Some of you know those words because you maybe walked down the aisle to, in a Billy, Billy Graham crusade, or um, you've reflected to the simple truths that she shared, but she called it her um, prayer of confession, her autobiography and verse. And the lyrics are so beautiful. But one of the things that she says in the third stanza, I love it, when she says, just as I am, though tossed about with many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings, fears within, without, O Lamb of God, I come. I think that, that we recognize that the Lord Jesus is the Savior. He's the only hope that we have. And to allow any person to attempt to replace that in our life is always going to fall short. I think the last thing, and this is just a small gleaning from the story, is um, when we fail to prioritize people over things, we miss out on the depth and potential of relationships. And we see that this woman, I love this story, she, she at this point now, she sees Jesus, she's interacted with Jesus, he's shared with her incredible information about herself, and then it says this in verse 27. It says, just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, uh, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and she went away into town and she said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and they were coming to him. So, so now so she goes back. She has had her life changed, encountered the Lord Jesus Christ. He uh, revealed himself to her in a meaningful spiritual way that changed her in such a way that now she goes back to that village of people that she was in some ways avoiding and uh, she exalts the name of Christ and there's people's lives who are changed because of it. Isn't that beautiful? So, so the example that we have this morning is kind of two paths. One of them is the path of the Lord Jesus Christ that, that fits right within our Building Healthy Relationship series, that Jesus was a person who made a, a commitment in his life to seek and to save that which was lost. That, that was modeled in his encounter with the woman at the well, broke down barriers, he crossed lines, he allowed himself to, um, to interact with her in a way that, that changed her. That's all of our story, by the way. That is the way he feels about each and every one of you, that he is actively, intentionally pursuing you where you are at. Whether you recognize the voice of God in your life or not, that God that I worship and serve is a God who's actively pursuing you. And I pray that today you allow him to speak truth and kindness and love, loving, his loving kindness into your life. I also want to share with you the other model that we see of our temptation to withdraw, to hide, to pull back, 
And I'll just share with you that that is setting a governor, uh, like a governor on, a, on an engine that can only go to a certain speed. It's setting a governor on the, the depth and, and beauty and, and gifting of your relationships that you have. If you allow it to only be what you want it to be. If you put masks on and you project something more than what you actually are, you're putting a limit on what the depth of your relationships have the potential of becoming. And so, so God gives us this gift of vulnerability to allow us, as we spoke at the beginning of this time, to take off our masks and to love other people, how in the same way that he first loved us, to allow us to love other people like we naturally love ourselves. It's not only possible, he showed us how we can do it by be, being people who value the very things that God values. comes at a cost. It requires us to be vulnerable. But I think when we choose to do that, we can actually see that that reality, like the miracle grow was supposed to work, right? It can help something to thrive in its appropriate place to be able to live up to its full potential. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. And I just thank you for these, these principles that every time I get to see the way the Lord Jesus interacted with people, I'm just reminded of his grace, his compassion, his loving kindness. I pray that for each and every one of us also. Lord, I just, there's such a sincerity in this moment in history that it feels like our story in some ways, our potential rejection of Christ, but then his willingness to speak into our life in a way that changes everything. Would you allow us to receive your loving kindness well? Lord, I pray that we would be people who understand what it means to love others like we love ourselves. I pray, Father God, that we would be people who understand the depth of relationship that you desire for each of us to have with you and the potential depth of relationship that we can have with one another. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.